A reading from the book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 14 to 21. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation, With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. This is the word of the Lord. There are some things that are available to all of us for free, but not everyone takes advantage of them. Uh, Paulette mentioned at the beginning of service, findmassmoney.com. I don't know how many times I have heard that commercial, and I have yet to go on findmassmoney.com and know if my name is on that list and if there are untold millions uh, there for me somewhere. But there are other things too. What if I told you you could have access to hundreds of online courses from schools like Harvard, Stanford, MIT, and you could have them all for free? Sounds too good to be true. It's not. They're available on classcentral.com. You can go on classcentral.com. You can take classes through all these major universities, get the same education. If you'd like to learn a language but don't want to pay, For someone to teach you that language or an expensive online software, almost any major language you can learn through Duolingo.com. Free resources that are out there that most people don't take advantage of. And that's true in most of our life. All of it's available for free, all of it's out there, but few of us actually take advantage of it. It's like this with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That last week we looked at chapter 10 verse 13 and in that verse Paul says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Well it's a powerful verse and it's a powerful offer when you think about it. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's for everyone. It's available to everyone. But the question that begs to be asked and that we're looking at this week is why some and not all? If it's available for everyone, then why do only some call in the name of the Lord and some are saved and not all? And what's the responsibility? What can be done about those who have not called in the name of the Lord? Especially, what's the responsibility for those of us who are Christians? This is one of those things about Christianity that doesn't sit well with us. Why some and not all? 
In fact, some have actually rejected Christianity because of this. We think if God is love, then all people should receive his love. The reality is that even though salvation through Jesus, as we talk about it, is available for everyone, not everyone believes, not everyone's taking advantage of the opportunity. So why is this? And what can be done about it? Why some and not all? And what are we supposed to be doing about it? Everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved, but not everyone calls in the name of the Lord. Why is that? And for Christians, what can we do about it? To answer that first question of why some and not all, why doesn't everyone call in the name of the Lord, let's look at the beginning of this passage, chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. And there are six verbs that Paul uses in this passage that I'd like us to take a look at of why some and not all. There's a sequence, Pastor Marvin, if you can put that up, that sequence of verbs that comes up in this. And this is what he says. Paul says, here's how it works. Here's how the gospel is communicated. But really, here's how almost anything is communicated. Here's how almost anything is transmitted from either one person to another person or one person to mass numbers of people. He says, someone's got to be sent. Someone's got to preach. Then there's going to be hearing, believing. And then you call and then you are saved. So, someone is sent, and then someone preaches the word, then people hear, then they believe, and then they call in the name of the Lord, and then they're saved. And Paul said, well, this is, this is how it works. This is the sequence that takes place. In order for people to call on the name of the Lord of step five, these other four steps really need to happen before that. It reminds me a little of the song, and I am going to use this slide, Pastor Marvin, the Dear Liza song. How many of you know the Dear Liza song? Right? There's a hole in my bucket, Dear Liza, Dear Liza. There's a hole in my bucket. A hole, right? And Liza says, well, fix it, Henry. Well, what do I fix it with? A straw, dear Henry. The straw is too long. Well, cut it, dear Henry. With what shall I cut it? An axe, with a hacks, axe, dear Henry. The axe is too dull, dear Liza. Well, sharpen it, dear Henry. With what shall I sharpen it? With a stone, dear Henry. The stone is too dry, dear Liza. Well, wet it, dear Henry. With what shall I wet it? With water, dear Henry. With what shall I fetch it? In a bucket, dear Henry. There's a hole in my bucket, dear Liza, dear Liza. Everything dependent upon something else. If you go back to that sequence, everything dependent upon something else in order for it to happen. Someone needs to be sent. Someone needs to preach. Someone needs to hear, believe, call, and be saved. So if not everyone is calling and not everyone is saved, why some and not all, there must be a breakdown somewhere in the sequence. And so the first place that there can be a breakdown in the sequence very easily is that People don't hear. And very, if you take out that block and you can't hear, well, if you can't hear, you can't believe. And if you can't believe, then you can't call. And if you can't call, then you're not saved. So there can be a very easily a breakdown in the, in, the, in, the, in the process of where people actually don't hear the gospel. And so they can't call in the name of the Lord. What does it mean not to have heard? How can some have not heard? 
Well, there's two ways that happens, I think. Just like us, sometimes you don't hear something because you haven't heard it. And sometimes you don't hear something even though you hear it. You know what I mean? Sometimes you don't hear something because you haven't heard it. And sometimes you don't hear something even though you've heard it. Let me explain the first one. Let's take this as an example to explain this. A parent says to a child, please take out the trash. But then comes into the kitchen and finds the trash still sitting there. Well, why is that the case? Well, sometimes... Sometimes it's because it's not heard. Sometimes there are physical barriers to hearing something. Sometimes they actually don't hear because it's a physical barrier to hearing. Perhaps there's a language barrier. Perhaps the parent is speaking a different language than the child. Well, you laugh. But you don't have to look any further than the Weir family sitting right in front of me. The Weir family fostered some kids from the Ukraine and looking to adopt some kids from the Ukraine and other adopted kids at times have spoken, speak a different language. I know these Ukrainian kids that you guys look at or adopt speak Russian. And you could say, please take out the trash till you're blue in the face. And the trash is going to sit there because they don't know what you are saying to them. Now, you can use motions and all kinds of stuff, but sometimes the point is there's a language barrier. So sometimes maybe the reason it's not heard is because there is a physical barrier to the hearing that can, be, that can take place. So the parent, uh, or, or maybe it's just not accessible. Maybe the parent is at the sink doing dishes and the child was playing behind them and over the shoulder, the parent without turning around says, please take out the trash, but doesn't realize the child has walked off and is now playing in the yard. Not accessible. There's a physical barrier to the hearing. And sometimes that happens with the gospel too. In our church, we talk a lot about UPGs. UPGs. UPGs is an unreached people group. An unreached people group. And there are these unreached people groups on earth that have yet to have access and yet to hear the gospel. Here's a website, the Joshua Project. I know that's kind of small for you to read, but it ta- it, they look at and they analyze all the unreached people groups in the world. The next slide kind of blows up that uh, statistics for you a little bit. And you can see that unreached people groups, and I'll use the second uh, grouping, which is a smaller grouping, by country, counting every unreached group once for each country they reside in, uh, 6,688 unreached people groups, approximately 3 billion people that are represented in approximately 42% of the world's population. Well, what is an unreached people group? An unreached people group defined by the Joshua Project is that less than 5% of people in that people group would call themselves Christians. Less than 2% would call themselves evangelicals. And some of those are way less than 2%. Some of them maybe two or maybe none would consider themselves Christians or evangelicals. And so there are approximately 6,600 groups in the world that their problem in hearing the gospel is they don't have access. There's no, there's physical barriers. They don't have this, the Bible, in their language. You may have five of these sitting at home on a shelf. They don't even have the option of buying one because no one has translated it into their language. Or maybe some of these groups don't even have a written language. 
No one has taken the time to write their language down yet. And so they don't have the word of God in their language. So sometimes there's physical barriers to this. There's a map as well that will show you, just give you an idea of where most of the unreached people groups are. So the green dots represent um, reached or mostly reached people groups and the red dots, they're kind of showing up red. The red dots represent the unreached people groups and you can see most of those across the Middle East, uh, Northern Africa, uh, and many of the unreached people groups are represented there. Again, these are not geopolitical countries. These are people groups that often live within countries um, that have sometimes different language cultures. They don't relate to the uh, main language of the country, and so they cannot hear or access the gospel in their language. And so there's a lot of work to do. Sometimes there's a physical barrier that keeps people from hearing the gospel, but sometimes it's not a physical barrier. Sometimes it's what I call an intellectual barrier. By that, I don't mean there's a lack of intelligence, but rather a lack of good communication. Uh, You hear, but you don't hear. In this situation, the parent says, please take out the trash. But the child is playing a video game. And is the statement heard? Yes. Is it comprehended in a language that's understood? Sure. Is it responded to and comprehended and listened to? Maybe, sometimes not. And so it's not a physical barrier, but there's another barrier that's going on. This is what my sixth grade language arts study skills teacher, Miss Aruda, she would put it this way, you heard, but you didn't listen. I remember that's the first time I heard that distinction made when I was in sixth grade and Miss Aruda said that to the class. And I thought, what do you mean? I heard, but I didn't listen. She was the first person to make that. You physically heard something. You physically heard an instruction, but you didn't listen to it. You didn't hear the speaker's intent. You didn't really retain the information. You didn't respond. You didn't obey. You didn't really understand what was going on. People in this group may have access to the gospel, maybe even think they heard it, but don't necessarily understand it. They're rejecting a message they are hearing many times third-hand from people who don't believe it and don't understand it. There's a large segment of our culture that has access to the gospel but has not heard it. They're rejecting a message they heard third-hand. The media says... This is who evangelical Christians are. And people think they understand the message. Right? Maybe you've been listening lately, all the election coverage and stuff on TV. Maybe you've been listening and you've heard a news commentator talk about the evangelical vote. And then they define what the evangelical vote is and what evangelical Christians are. And you might as a Christian hear that and say, that's not who we are. And you listen to it and you say, that doesn't describe us. And you just turn it off and you move on and you don't give it a second thought. But the person who's not a believer, who's not a Christian, who doesn't, has never had an adequate explanation of the gospel, hears that same news commentator and says, oh, that's who they are. I thought so. That's what I thought they were. And not only rejects what they hear as a characterization of maybe an evangelical Christian, but rejects the church rejects Jesus himself based on what they've heard third hand because they've heard but haven't had it communicated in a way that they can really make an informed decision 
on what the gospel is and what God is offering. Some people who would consider themselves the most informed people in the world may not have actually heard the gospel given to them and presented in a way that they can make an informed decision on it and understand it. So, sometimes people don't call on the name of the Lord because they haven't heard. But sometimes the sequence breaks down someplace else. Because you're sitting here and you say, look, Pastor Rick, I know people that have heard and understand and they still don't call on the name of the Lord. So what does Paul have to say of them? What of them? Well, actually, that's most of who Paul's talking about in this passage. If you look at uh, chapter 10 and you look at these verses... And it talks about Paul is talking to, uh, about some of the Jewish people. And it says, but they uh, have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed that he has what he has heard from us. So faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And he says, but I ask you, have they not heard? And he says, indeed they have. Paul's talking about his Jewish brothers and sisters. He said, have they not heard the good news of God? Of course they've heard. And then verse 19 says, but I ask you, did Israel not understand? And then he gives two quotes from the Old Testament showing that of course they understood. It was the Gentiles that didn't have an understanding of God and yet they called upon him. But Israel, Jewish people, God's people always had an understanding of who God was. So if they hear and if they understand, why don't they call upon God? Well, this isn't a breakdown of hearing. This is a breakdown of belief. It goes down to verse 21 where Paul says, but of Israel, he says, all day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. What Paul says is they heard, they understood, they just rejected what was being offered to them. They don't believe They said no. They would rather the God that they have created in their own mind and in their own image rather than the God that is being offered to them through faith in Jesus Christ. They said, I'd rather the God who I can earn his favor through my works and my actions than the God who offers grace through simply faith in Jesus Christ. And so they hear and they understand, but they are rejecting it. Have you ever had a disagreement with somebody and you think, well, you're just, not, you're, you're just not getting it. You just don't understand. Because if you understood, then you would agree with me, right? So you go back to them and you try and explain everything in a different way to them. And you say, no, 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 let me, let me explain it another way. And they still don't agree with you. You say, no, 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 well, let me come at that. Let me, let me come at it a different way. And you start talking louder. Because, of course, if they understood they would agree with you. And then at some point in the interaction, the revelation occurs to you, oh, they understand perfectly. They just disagree with you. And that's a little bit what Paul's saying here. There are some people who don't call on the name of the Lord, not because they have not heard, not because they don't understand, because they hear, because they understand, and because they choose not to believe. And so there are people, there were people back then like that, and there are people today that are like that as well. The message of salvation is for everyone, but not everyone is saved. 
We don't like this fact. We'd like to see everyone receive God's love. Paul says there's two reasons some aren't saved. First, not all have heard. Second, not all have believed. But the question is, what can we do about this? Well, in one sense, there's not much we can do about it at all. And in another, there's a whole lot we can do about it. In the first sense that we, there's not much we can do about it at all, it's because each person must decide in their own heart to believe and call on the name of the Lord to be saved. God does not force that decision on people, and we can't either. You see this from the very beginning of Scripture and throughout all of Scripture. God holds his hand of blessing and love out, but does not force people to love him. From the very beginning with Adam and Eve, he gives them the choice to love and to express this love through listening to his direction, trusting him and obeying him. Throughout the history of people of Israel, God would send prophets to tell people about his love, to speak about the consequences of going their own way, but they had to choose to call upon him, to follow him. In fact, one of the uh, more famous verses in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 15, uh, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, but it starts out as a conditional, if. It's an if-then statement. If it's their decision, they have to decide to choose to call upon the name of the Lord. God does not force himself on them. It was true of Adam and Eve. It was true of Israel. And it's true of your son, of your daughter, of your co-worker, of your aunt and your uncle of your mom and your dad, of your friend at school, as much as you want them to call on the name of the Lord, they need to make that decision in their own hearts to do it. You can't force anyone to call on the Lord. Forced conversion is no conversion. There are some religious groups in the world, uh, much uh, we see of uh, this extremist Islam who would try and force people to convert And then others will say, well, look back at Christianity's past and the Crusades and they tried to force people to convert and there's a sad chapter in the church's history about the Crusades and some of the things that went on and bad theology and bad doctrine. But the truth is, forced conversion is no conversion. It's simply forced. So in some ways, we'd like to do something about this, but people have to decide on their own, and there's not a whole lot Christians can do because you cannot force someone to love. You cannot force someone to love, and you certainly cannot force someone to love God. You cannot force worship. God doesn't do it, and you can't do it. But that doesn't mean there's nothing for us to do. In fact, there's a whole lot for us to do. Because there's another part of the solution. Because we, may, we are not able to make people believe, but we can make sure that people hear and understand. So the solution that some people do not call in the name of the Lord, some have not had the physical opportunity to hear it. So what is the answer to that? And the answer to that, very simply, is you and me. If you call yourself a Christian... You follow Jesus, then you're part of the solution to people who haven't heard. See, we looked at it in the beginning as a 
sequence of belief, a sequence that happens from someone who is sent to someone who preaches, hears, believes, calls, saves. But that's actually not a proper representation of it. It's not a sequence. It's a cycle. And it looks more like this. People who are sent then go and preach and then others hear and they believe and they call in the name of the Lord and then they are saved and then they're sent. And then they preach, hear, believe, call, then people are saved and then they're sent. It's a cycle, not a sequence. And if you're part of that, you have called in the name of the Lord and you believed and you have been saved, well, whether you know it or not, you have been sent. Because God wants to make his appeal through you to those that do not know him. Pastor Tim Keller puts it this way, we must ensure that wherever it is that God has placed us, no one around us can say they have not heard or understood. I'll say that again. We must ensure that wherever it is God has placed us, no one around us can say that they have not heard or understood. So you and I have an obligation to the people that God has placed around us to make sure that they not only hear, but understand. And that's an important distinction. Because if we are only committed to someone hearing, and we think, well, it's my responsibility that they hear, what can happen is we can just throw everything out there, wipe our hands and say, I did my job, it's up to you. And in some ways that can be true, but only if you have done the hard work of the hard relational and emotional labor of helping someone understand what you are saying. So to do that, you need to have one, an opportunity to share. You need to have been given permission to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the law of supply and demand. Many times we as Christians are offering a whole lot more supply than there is demand. But when you're in a relationship with someone, what you need to do, if you're going to share in a, so that people can hear and understand, you need to create demand. So you live your life in such a way that people will say, how do you live your life that way? Why is it that your attitude is such and such? Why is it that you can deal with these difficulties in that way? Tell me more about that. You have created demand. You speak and your conversation is seasoned with the words of God and the things of God. And so they ask and they say, what is this God that you're talking about? Who is this God? Tell me more about it. You've created demand. You talk about the things that God has done in your life. This, you know, and you talk about it not as something unusual, but something is just a part of who you are and what you do, and this is who I am. And so at some point, the demand comes, and you offer the supply. But if we're offering the supply when there's no demand, often it cannot be heard. So we need to look for the opportunities and win a hearing with people so that it can be heard and understood. And we also need to do it in such a way that they can understand it. Now, uh, Donna was just up here talking about children's ministry. Now, if I go down to our twos and threes classroom, and I just, uh, you know what? I'm going to take, I've got a good sermon today, and I'm just going to take it right down to the twos and threes. Now, you guys sit here. We're going to talk about why some and not all. Here we go. It's not going to be well received, I'm guessing. Not because they can't hear, 
And not because they can't hear the words and the language they understand, but because it's not given to them in a way that they can understand it and make an informed decision on it. You have people like that in your life. You can't assume a biblical knowledge from the people that you work beside, that they understand the concepts that you're going to talk about. You need to serve them by explaining in a way that people will understand what you're trying to say. So the answer is you and me to the problem of people don't hear, but you don't want me to say that. You don't want that to be the answer. You don't want that to be the answer. You don't want that to be the answer of you and me. And here's how I know you don't want that to be the answer. Because the Pew Research Center did some studies on how often people share their faith and talk about God. And here's some of the statistics. Many people in the U.S. avoid talking about religion altogether. That's not a surprise. About half of U.S. adults tell us they seldom or never talk about religion with people outside their family. And roughly 4 in 10, 40%, say they seldom or never discuss religion even within their members of the immediate family. Okay, no surprise there. But here's this. When the researchers asked, uh, what do you do when someone disagrees with you about religion? I'll let that question sink in. What do you do when someone disagrees with you about religion? Just 10%, not of all adults, 10% of evangelicals say they try and persuade the person to change their mind. So 90% of people What do they do? The vast majority try to understand the person's beliefs and just agree to disagree. While one in six say they avoid discussing religion with the person altogether. So when we find out that we disagree with someone about religion, rather than trying to say, well, you know what? Let me explain it. And I think you, you know, let me explain why I think you should embrace this message from God. Most people will say, oh, okay, no problem. We'll stop the conversation and move on to talking about the Patriots or the Red Sox. We don't want the answer to be you and me, most of us, because we don't want to have that conversation. We avoid those conversations. But if we're going to talk to people about God, we're going to make sure they hear and understand. We're going to have to at times try and persuade them. That's not culturally uh, accepted. That's not culturally approved of. In fact, our culture is going the other direction. Our culture says, you can't proselytize. You can, that's proselytizing. You can't do that. You can't do that in the workplace. You can't do that in the school. You can't do that in the coffee shop. You can't do that anywhere. Is what our culture would like us to believe. But if we are going to make sure that people hear and understand, we're going to have to talk with people and present the gospel in a way that they can understand it. The other reason we don't want the answer to be us sometimes or you don't tell others and I don't tell others, the other answer is because we don't feel equipped to do it. They're going to have questions that we don't have answers to. Let's talk about some solutions for a second to those things. We don't want to tell others, but the bottom line is we have to. We have to. If we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, we're going to live out the life that he calls us to. We have to. Our culture is rapidly moving away from Christ. The only way to reverse the trend is for individuals to have their lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only way for this to happen 
is for followers of Jesus Christ to tell other people. God has placed you in a unique position to share the message of Jesus Christ. No one else has your mix of family, co-workers, friends, or social media acquaintances. I will probably never have the chance to tell your neighbor about Jesus. And you will probably never have the chance to tell my neighbor about Jesus. It's my opportunity. And your neighbors are your opportunity. And so we should look for every opportunity to share Jesus with people. We have to. Let me illustrate it this way. April 14th, 1912, we've all heard about it. The Titanic struck an iceberg. Sorry if that's news to you, spoiler alert, it goes down. (laughs) But over 1,500 people that day, we know it was a tragedy, perished on the ship that couldn't be sunk. In fact, they called it the ship that not even God could sink. Only about a third of the passengers lived to tell about the nightmare. Although the death toll was staggering, many of us know the story, the greater tragedy was that many more people could have been rescued. The Titanic was certified to offer lifeboat space for 1,178 people. These are the lifeboats, some of the lifeboats from the Titanic. But of the 20 lifeboats lowered overboard, only a few were filled to capacity. Several were less than half filled. For instance, the first lifeboat lowered, boat 7, had room for 65 people and yet only 28 were aboard. Boat 5 left with 24 spaces unfilled. Lifeboat 9 with 26 out of the 65 spaces unfilled. Lifeboat 1 could accommodate 40 people but left the Titanic with only 12 people on board. In all, only 711 passengers and crew were rescued while 40% of the total lifeboat spaces remained unfilled. Meanwhile, hundreds of spaces remained unfilled. Only one of the vessels went back in search of other survivors. The rest, with room and space, remained at a safe distance, observing the horrific scene, comforting one another, and praising God that they had been spared. In the ensuing months, as investigators sought to determine why so many lifeboat seats went unfilled, they uncovered some startling misperceptions. First, some of the Titanic crewmen mistakenly assumed that filling the lifeboats to their sea capacity would uh, cause the boats to break in two during the lowering process, which was untrue. That wouldn't have happened. And then others were just reluctant to board lifeboats because... The Titanic was, after all, the unsinkable ship. If we have heard and understood the gospel, then we have the message to save people's lives for all eternity. If we choose not to share that message, it's like rowing away from the Titanic with half-empty lifeboats. That we are given this task to share But if we choose not to share, it's like rowing away from the Titanic with these half-empty lifeboats. There's some empty chairs in church today. The building's not going to break if they're filled. We can, it can take it. It's not going to break in two. There's room. There's room. There's more people to be reached. There's more people to share the message with. So we need to 
It's hard. It's not culturally acceptable. It's not comfortable. It's awkward. And yet, it's a commission given to us as Christians to share the love of God with people around us. It doesn't have to be all those things. I'm just saying those are the things many of us feel. But God has called us to do this, to share this message with people around us. We don't know how, though. Sometimes we think, well, it's too difficult. The truth is we sometimes overcomplicate things. We make it like a Rube Goldberg uh, device or invention. And you've heard of, uh, his, if you've never heard of Rube Goldberg, I'm sure you've seen some of the visuals of the things that he puts together. This is the uh, napkin wiping invention. Uh, and the next one is uh, putting toothpaste on a toothbrush. If you're having trouble in the morning to do that, you can follow Rube Goldberg's instructions and he can help you do that. Uh, and uh, the problem with Rube Goldberg things is they overcomplicate a simple task. They overcomplicate a simple task. Sometimes we do the same thing. We overcomplicate a simple task. God has simply called you to share the message of love that has been shared with you. You don't have to have all the answers. No one expects you to have all the answers, but you have to share and you have to empty your cup of what has been given to you. It doesn't have to be difficult. It can be as simple as sharing your story, sharing God's story, or sharing someone else's story. Share God's story. Here's, Here's the message of the Bible. Here's what God did. You ever wonder about it? You ever, you, maybe you've, you've thought about it, but you've wanted someone to explain it to you. Let me talk with you about it. You can share God's story. Here's what God has done throughout history. Here's how much God loves you. Share your story. Here's what God did in my life. There was a time where I was in a difficult place. There was a time where I had no hope. There was a time where I cried out to God and he heard my prayer and this is what happened. Here's my story. There was a time I didn't know Jesus and now I do and here's why. There was a time that, that, that I needed God and I needed him to do something and he came through and, I, and it strengthened my faith and trust in him and I think you should do the same thing too. Here's my story. Sometimes you can just tell someone else's story. You hear a testimony in church. Let me tell you what happened in this person's life that I heard on Sunday. This is amazing. I don't know what you think of it. I don't know what you make of it, but this is their story. Yesterday on this platform, I got the opportunity to give the sermon for the funeral service for Renee McGowan, and I took the opportunity to share his testimony and Renee and Ludie's story of how they came to know the Lord and many people come up to me afterwards and said, I had no idea because many people saw Renee only later in life and they thought, well, he's always been this man of God who's walked with God. They didn't know that he ran a cantina, drank too much, smoked too much, didn't know God, wanted nothing to do with God for most of his life. And it wasn't until he was 50 years old that through a miraculous healing of his, wa- his wife that they immediately and instantaneously became fa- followers of Jesus Christ, breaking every bottle of alcohol in their house, quitting smoking, going to church, following God, and giving their life to serve him, planting a church. It's not my story. That's Renee's story. But I can tell Renee's story. Say, this is amazing what God did in this guy's life. I don't know what you think of it, but this is his story. What else could make that difference in his life? 
hear about what God did. We overcomplicate it. Doesn't have to be that difficult. Share your story, share God's story, share someone else's story. So the gospel is for everyone, but not everyone has believed. If we've heard and understood the message, then it's up to you to respond to the message and believe. If you've believed, then it's up to you to tell someone else. We close with this story from World Vision President Richard Stearns. He calls it the domino theory of spiritual impact. He says, imagine a long line of dominoes. When one falls, it starts a chain reaction that can cause dozens or hundreds more dominoes to fall. We've all seen these illustrations, right? You hit one domino and they all fall over. For instance, Jesus set up 12 dominoes. His disciples mentored them, empowered them with the Holy Spirit, sent them off to do likewise, and now there are over 2 billion followers of Jesus in the world. That's a lot of dominoes. He provides the following story. He says this. Richard Stearns talks about Robert Wilder. In the 1880s, Robert Wilder was a missionary kid from India. He was preparing to return to the mission field during college. He even signed a pledge with friends to become a missionary. But because he was so physically frail, he was never able to fulfill his pledge. But instead, he encouraged others to take up the task and become missionaries. One domino fell. During a preaching tour that took Robert through Chicago, he spoke to an audience that included Samuel Moffat. Samuel also signed Robert's pledge to become a missionary, and within two years, he landed in Korea. Another domino fell. A few years later, Samuel shared the gospel with a man who had become disillusioned with his Taoist practice, Kiel Sun Chu, trusted Christ, and quickly another domino fell. In 1907, Kiel was one of the leaders of the Pyongyang revival. In January of that year, spontaneous prayer and confession broke out during regular church meeting. Thousands of dominoes fell. Those days of fervent prayer are now considered the birth of the independent and self-sustaining Korean church. When Kiel died in 1935, 5,000 people attended his funeral. The church in Korea now numbers about 15 million people and it sends more foreign missionaries out than any other country outside of the United States. Millions of dominoes fell through one man committing to tell because he believed, called on the name of the Lord, was saved and told others about it. As Christians, we're all dominoes in the chain reaction set off by Jesus 2,000 years ago. The amazing thing about dominoes falling is the chain reaction always starts small with just one seemingly insignificant domino. Richard Stern says, whether you're sponsoring children, filling backpacks for children, or inner city schools, talking to your own children, praying earnestly for people around the globe, you have no idea how big the impact will be as God multiplies your faithfulness. So the message of salvation is for everyone, but not everyone is saved. We don't like this fact. We'd like to see everyone receive God's love. Paul says there's two reasons some are not saved. First, not all have heard. Second, not all 
who hear believe. What do we do about it? We do everything in our power to fix the first. We pray God will do everything in his power to fix the second. If you've heard, then believe. If you've believed, then tell. As we close, I'd invite you, take out that connection card that if you still have it, or just take out that, um, not even the perforated piece, you can use the back of the card that you were given when you came in. And as we close out this service as a tangible way to apply this sermon to your life, especially, I'm speaking really specifically to the Christians who are here today, those who would say, uh, you know, I've, I've heard, I believe, I've called, I've been saved, and now my question is, who do you need to tell? And so I'd ask you, as we close out this service, to consider, to ask the Lord, to ask in your own heart, who is it in your sphere of influence, who has not heard, who has maybe heard but not adequately understood, or not had it presented in a way that they can understand the offer that's being presented to them through Jesus Christ. I'd ask you to pray about and ask God, and before you leave today, to write down one name on that card that you will pray and ask God to help give you an opportunity to share his message of good news, his message of freedom in Christ, his message of salvation, his message of love, his message of forgiveness, that you will have one person on that card that you will pray and ask God, open up the door, Lord, for me to share with them. Maybe there's another person in your life that you've said uh, that you know who has heard but has not believed. I would challenge you, don't stop praying for that person. Again, as I stood up here yesterday and talked about Renee, I think there were many people in his prior 49 years of life who would have said, Renee will never believe. That guy would never believe. And then 26 years, the final 26 years of his life, he spends living completely for Christ and his purpose and his kingdom. There may be people in your life, they've heard, they've understood, they have not yet believed. If they are breathing air into their lungs, there is still grace and opportunity for them to turn and come to the Lord. And I ask that you would continue to pray for them. If you've heard then make sure you call upon the Lord and believe. If you've called, then make sure that you tell. I leave you with this, these words of Christ before we pray. John 20, uh, 21. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. It's true. If you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Just as Jesus was sent from God to bring the message, you are also sent to tell others about it. Let's pray. Father, we, Lord, come before you today. And Lord, for those of us in this room who are believers and followers of Jesus Christ and are Christians and have called upon your name and are grateful for our salvation, Lord, we thank you for that. And we, we first of all, want to praise you to God. We are so unworthy of your mercy. We are so unworthy of your grace. 
We are nothing without you. We are not worthy to do what you have done for us. And so we thank you and we praise you because we did not deserve what you have given to us in the grace and salvation that you have made available to us through Jesus Christ. We did not deserve it. We deserved to die in our sins. We deserved to bear the consequences of our sins. But you extended grace and we thank you and we praise you for it, Lord, first of all. Lord, may we never walk with ungrateful hearts for what you have done. May we always walk in gratitude for the gift that has been given to us. But Lord, as we receive this message today, may our gratitude overflow in telling others about the gift that you offer to them as well. May we not row away from a sinking ship with room in the lifeboat, Lord, having not told the story. Father, I pray for the man, the woman, the young person in here today who needs courage, that you would give them courage. I pray for the man or woman in here who just needs more compassion for those that are lost without you, that we would receive and have the compassion that you have, the compassion of the good shepherd, the compassion of the loving father for those who are lost. May that compassion erupt in a love for those who don't know you that we would long to share you with them. Lord, I pray for opportunities for each of us to be able to do that. Lord, and I ask that there will be many stories that we would hear back. That name I wrote on that card, I had an opportunity to share with them. And there'll be other stories that say that name I shared and they now trust Jesus. Lord, we long for those stories to be told, not for our glory, but because of our love for you and our love for them. And if you're here today and maybe you're not a Christian, you can no longer say you have not heard. Possibly, you can say you still don't understand. And if that's true, I would encourage you to continue asking questions. Continue talking to someone who's a follower of Jesus Christ who you know and ask them questions so you can understand. And then when you hear and when you understand, I encourage you and I challenge you to consider calling on the name of the Lord. And when you do, his promise is he will save you. He will forgive you. He will extend his grace to you. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen.